Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Pedro de Alcantara, who is an Alexander Technique teacher in Paris, France. He, he's been teaching for over 25 years. He also gives workshops uh, at other locations around the world, and he travels uh, fairly regularly to New York City, where he also uh, teaches. I think um, it's fair to say that Pedro is best known for his um, writing about the Alexander Technique and in particular his writing and work with musicians. He has a book called Indirect Procedures, A Musician's Guide to the Alexander Technique, and this past year, we're speaking in 2013, He's done a complete re-edit of that book. It's, it's basically an, a new version of the book. And we're going to talk today about a concept that he introduces in that book, which he calls the simplified skeleton. Uh, Pedro, welcome to the show. Thank you, Robert. So b- before we a- approach the, uh, the simplified skeleton, could you give our listeners just a very short description of the Alexander Technique? Well, one of the ways in which I like talking about the Alexander Technique revolves around the word connection. We can talk about connections between the different body parts so that as you're doing something, sitting at the computer, you have a connection between your back and your shoulders, your back and your pelvis, your pelvis, your legs and your feet. Then we can talk about a connection between your thoughts and your actions, and that's a kind of a connection between body and mind. We can talk about a connection with the physical environment. So you're a cellist, then you have a connection with the cello. A connection with the creative source when you are expressing yourself uh, as a musician or as a human being. A connection with other people. And if you like to be mystical, a connection with the universe. And I think the Alexander Technique is about nourishing these circuits of connections and finding out the blockages to connection. And in my way of thinking, the biggest blockage comes from what you want to do, what Alexander called in-gaining. If you want something too hard or if you want the wrong thing, you're going to disconnect. So the idea is to find out where you're disconnecting, learn how to let go and do nothing, a kind of non-doing approach, reestablish your connections, and go from there. So for me, that's, that's a basic way of thinking and talking about the Alexander Technique. Okay, that's good. And um, in, as I said at the beginning, in your, uh, in your book, Indirect Procedures, you introduce a concept which you call a simplified skeleton. That's right. Could you say what that is and how it might be useful? Well, I think it's uh, it's good to uh, let's backtrack a little bit from a little bit from the simplified skeleton and talk about information. Information is all around us. We are all living in an environment rich with information, and uh, too much information is not helpful. It's very confusing. It's overwhelming. Uh, suppose you go into some department store with uh, ten floors and uh, fifty departments and uh, two hundred thousand items. And all you really want is to buy, uh, well, I don't know, toothpaste. Uh, That department store is too much information. It's very, very, very difficult. And in life, I think it's generally useful to try and uh, simplify information so you can deal with it more easily. So the simplified skeleton takes 
you know, take from the wealth of information available to you about your body, coordination, connection, about health, about who you are, about your identity, from that huge body of information, I extracted a little bit of information. And I called it the simplified skeleton. So it's a simplified information. It happens to be called the skeleton, but really is about uh, the core issues in, in yourself, in your identity. Mm-hmm. And for me and for some of my students, this concept has proved uh, useful. Mm-hmm. And so, as you say, there's an awful lot of infor- anatomical and neurological and everything else information mm-hmm. about our, our structure Mm-hmm. And it can be overwhelming to try to use all of that. So you have you've created this uh, this simplified version of our body or skeleton. Could you describe what what you have pulled out of the mass of information to create this simplified model? Sure, I like putting it this way. Ideally, your neck belongs with your spine. The neck's just an extension of the spine. Mm-hmm. is the visible upper bit of your spine. And uh, most people make it so that about half of the neck belongs to the spine and the other half of the neck belongs to the head, creating a very strange and awkward unit of head plus half a neck and another unit of half a neck plus a spine. And I think that's the source of a lot of discomfort and illness, And if you find a way of uh, having your neck be wholly with the spine and the head kind of slightly independent from the neck, you have a lot more poise. So number one of the three points of connection within the simplified skeleton is that the neck and the spine belong together and the head is a little bit autonomous relative to the neck. Mm -hmm. Number two, the back and the shoulders belong together. And the arms are somewhat autonomous, where the arms are extensions of that unit called back and shoulders. And number three, back and pelvis belong together. And the legs are somewhat autonomous extensions of the back and pelvis. You have articulations at the hip joint, so you can do certain movements of your legs without Mm -hmm. overly engaging the, the pelvis. And if the pelvis stays very friendly with the back, it's much, much better if than the pelvis becoming over-friendly with the legs. So to make a long story short, the simplified skeleton has three points of connection. The neck and the spine belong together. The back and the shoulders belong together. The back and the pelvis belong together. And that's it. That's the simplified skeleton. Yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense to me. Um, Now, someone listening to this, um, is there a, a way that they could use that those three connections that you're talking about in a practical way for themselves. For example, uh, simply affirming that their neck and spine belong together, which is kind of another way of saying the neck is just an, is part of this. It, the spine includes the neck, but as you say, people tend Absolutely. to create a, 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 an odd break in their, in mm-hmm. their neck. Um, so correct. do you think affirming that, simply saying to yourself, well, my neck belongs to my spine, that that could be a useful self-direction? Well, I'm going to put it this way. I think it is a human activity that everybody does without exception, which is modeling the world. All around you, you have all this information. 
and you have information inside you and you pick the things that matter to you, the words, the thoughts, the emotions, and you create a kind of a system for yourself and everybody has a system. It's inevitable. And uh, we get also the systems from schooling, from religion, from our parents, uh, from all the things that we do. So modeling is a big part of uh, how we deal with life. We create a model of information and we decide this is helpful, this is not helpful, I want to do this but not that. My priorities are this and not that, and that's our modeling. So sometimes the simple thought that your neck might not really exist as an independent entity and that your spine is whole from top to bottom and the neck is just uh, the name for a region of a whole thing that's integrated, that simple thought can have consequences because suddenly you're modeling yourself and your body and your posture and your movements in a different way. You have a new concept where you say, I... I actually don't need to think about a neck or I don't need to have a neck. I just have a spine and the spine goes all the way into the inside of my skull and all the way to the bottom of uh, my spine, to the coccyx. And it's one thing. It's one elastic directed thing. And for some people, that simple thought, the spine is one, the spine's not many, can have profound consequences. Yeah, you can use it uh, affirmatively. You can say my spine is one. And if you really get the hang of that it's uh, quite a revolution yeah i've i've experimented with um with with some of some of the directions that might fall out of your concept of simplified skeleton and they do seem to produce a useful shift i wonder how you would distinguish your that work of yours from say another approach in the Alexander world called body mapping, which is basically just finding out on yourself where certain key relationships are and how they work and just knowing that reality. So, for example, you spoke about that kind of artificial break that people will make in their concept of mm-hmm. their 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 head and part of their neck will kind of be seen as somehow separate from the other part of their neck and their spine. Well, the body mapping approach would be, um, let's just find out exactly where your head does rest on top of your spine, which is part of uh, your neck, which is part of your spine, and how it moves. And for a lot of people, that piece of information is a gigantic leap forward because Mm -hmm. they'll have imagined the movement to take place somewhere quite distant from from its actual location. How does mm. your work fit in with that? So, uh, Robert, uh, you asked me about uh, body mapping, and I'm going to answer somewhat indirectly by referring back to Alexander's concept of the primary control, which is a big deal and uh, it's a little bit difficult to really describe and live. It's a kind of a relationship between the head, the neck, and the upper body, And I think it's Alexander's own way of trying to describe a profoundly useful thing where you are integrating the neck and the spine and creating a kind of a dynamic opposition between the head and the neck. So suppose that you turn your head a little bit to the left, look at something, and perhaps your neck's going to refuse to turn that much and say, I stay with the spine. Head, you can turn to the left, I'm going to stay here. 
And when you do that, it's as if the head and the neck are going in opposite directions. So it creates a whole dynamic thing in the animal who becomes very strong and lively because head and neck are are collaborating in antagonism, as it were. So Alexander came up with that. He called it the primary control. I'm giving you my interpretation of Alexander's primary control. And uh, my simplified skeleton is taking perhaps the same idea and giving new words and images to it. And I'm very ignorant of body mapping, but I'm assuming that within body mapping, there'd be words and thoughts, images, that are trying to explain the same phenomenon. So I think usually basic uh, phenomena, basic important phenomena, can be explained and modeled in a lot of different ways. The primary control and the vocabulary that Alexander uh, brought to the primary control is one way of talking about it. Body mapping may be another way of talking about it, but I wouldn't know because I'm not well informed about it. And the simplified skeleton, in particular, the idea that the neck and the spine belong together, may be just another way of talking about a timeless and universal phenomenon that affects the coordination of all animals, including us, men, women, children, and and cellists. Well, I think what all of them have in common is a, a simplification of human structure, even primary control. Alexander has you which Alexander felt was the key to the whole ball of wax, really, was how are you managing your head on top of your spine? Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's picking out one internal relationship and elevating it, having you elevated in your consciousness as something to think about and to direct. And, right. uh, you know... Be, the reality is, I, I guess, that for human beings, we don't have the ability to manage um, a great number of things at the same time. We're not really set up to do that. And if we're going to intervene in how we function, we need to be pretty selective about where we intervene. So mm-hmm. Alexander's, I think his huge contribution was hey, you know, the head-neck relationship would be a really excellent place to intervene. And That's it sounds right. like your um, your version of that, uh, that the neck belongs to the spine, helps take care of a, a bit of the mismapping of where the head relates to the spine. And then mm-hmm. you said, well, and the head is somewhat independent of that, which I think is... In a way, as you said, a restatement of of one some of Alexander's basic directions. Mm-hmm. Another, another well, way of using another another approach to self direction. Sure. Well, I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. Most people, when they talk, they move their heads and they often move their necks. Besides gesticulating and using their arms, fingers, shoulders, uh, the whole of the body, but most people when they talk. They, they nod a little bit. So they are saying something, and the head goes up and down. So you have at least three possibilities. One's that you can train yourself to talk without actually moving the skull, where the jaw moves, the lips, the tongue, the vocal cords, the diaphragm moves, but the skull actually stays exactly where it is, and it doesn't really go anywhere. And uh, many good singers and actors know how to do that. Uh, many politicians, sometimes when they talk, they know how to do that. 
preachers as well. Mm-hmm. It's very convincing when a speaker can talk without moving the skull. It lends a certain authority to the speaker. And it also changes the tone of voice and the color of the voice and the timbre of the voice. So generally speaking, it can be very good for you to train yourself to talk without moving the skull an awful lot. Mm-hmm. Then you can choose to move your skull on the joint between the spine and the skull. And that means that you can nod with your head a little bit, but your neck is not really affected by the nodding. You're nodding with the head, but you're not nodding with the neck. And then you can catch yourself some of the time when you nod, you agree, or you put some an emphasis on some syllable, and you catch yourself moving your neck in space, moving it to forward and down or back and up or in between. And that means that you can talk without moving the skull, moving the skull without moving the neck, and moving the neck. And once you feel the distinction between those three things, they're very different ways of speaking. They're very different individualities. If you're the sort of person who has often talked by moving the neck an awful lot, for you to train yourself not to move your neck is revolutionary. You're going to become somebody else. You're going to become a different preacher, a different actor, a different speaker, a different uh, set of emotions. So um, I think... um, If uh, our listeners are interested in testing a little bit this primary control, this relationship between the head and the neck, a good place to start is by talking or by watching other people talk. Watch TV, Mm -hmm. see how people talk. Watch an old film. Watch something with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And you see that the two of them, these two great stars and actors, they talked without moving their skulls. They... uh, they showed incredible strong emotions without nodding with the neck. And this, uh, the emotion was actually more condensed on account of it. So if you really keep your neck in place with the spine, everything changes. The, the voice, the emotion, the communication, your force, your personality, I think is a very good starting point for everyone. And in terms of, of practicing that for yourself, do you think the direction that you've you you mentioned before, okay, my, my neck belongs to my spine and my mm-hmm. head has some mobility with respect to my uh, neck, but you're mm-hmm. going to say, I'm going to minimize that mobility, something along mm-hmm. that line. Would that be a useful self-direction? Well, um, I believe that uh, direction works best when it's multimedia. Mm-hmm. When you use words, thoughts, images, sensations, triggers, symbols, anecdotes, haikus, mm-hmm. and uh, in that uh, sort of uh, song and dance of directions, you find the one that suits you and that gives you this very, very stable neck. So, yeah, you can say, my neck stays, for instance. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk and my neck stays. My neck doesn't go. Mm-hmm. My voice goes out of my body, but the neck stays. Mm-hmm. The neck doesn't go out out of the body. Mm-hmm. My emotions flow from me to the listener, but my neck stays where it is. I don't have to give my neck to my listener. It's enough that I give my voice and my thoughts and my emotions. My neck stays. I, I'm, I'm uh, offering to our listeners the direction my neck stays. I think it's very useful. Yeah. And I think also uh, as a way of monitoring your success in, in, in applying the, that kind of idea, it's pretty useful to uh, have um, some instant video feedback. Absolutely. A, ca- a camcorder that's focused on the si- 
is pointed to your side mm-hmm. and the output is in a monitor that's directly in front of you is an amazingly powerful way of mm-hmm. retraining yourself. And I totally agree with you about uh, watching uh, people who are good speakers or good actors. Um, in in my experience, at least in America, the people to watch are successful politicians generally, mm-hmm. and even mm-hmm. even just successful at a local level, like the mayor or city people on city council. Generally, they they they, as you would put it, don't give their necks away. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They, and I I've seen that at all levels of uh, political, and I think that's. I think that's kind of a self-selection uh, process. You don't get elected if you're constantly giving your neck away in, a, in an odd way. So <laughs> I agree with you. They are great people to watch. Uh-huh. So this, um, I, I think this might be a good place to bring our conversation to a close. Um, mm. But I'd, but what I'd like to add is uh, we, we haven't touched on the other aspects of the simplified skeleton that you you mentioned at the beginning but Mm -hmm. um, my suggestion for listeners is to uh, get uh, Pedro's book Indirect Procedures I think is it the full the full title is a musician's guide to the Alexander technique that's correct but uh, but the new edition right yeah Uh, let me say a few words about uh, the book and in particular about the title of the book Mm-hmm. Indirect procedures is a term that Alexander himself used to talk about his work. Mm-hmm. Suppose you come to Mr. Alexander with a problem and he says, we are not going to work on that problem. Put it aside. We're going to use some indirect procedures to address your concerns. So I think it's a very, very good uh, expression as a kind of a work method. When you have a problem, put it aside work on it indirectly with some sort of intermediate procedures. Mm-hmm. So I'm suggesting that you leave out the subtitle, which is A Musician's Guide to the Alexander Technique, mm-hmm. because that's going to discourage the non-musicians listening to us from buying the book. And let's just call the book Indirect Procedures, because in itself is a very good, strong, useful, practical term to talk about this work. And uh, if I can talk a little bit about the two other bits of the simplified skeleton, sure. now that we have this directive that says my neck stays, we can also say my shoulders stay, my pelvis stays. And that, uh, that uh, organizes the whole thing in a very simple way. When I talk, my neck stays. Mm-hmm. When I play the cello, my shoulders stay. And when I walk, when I dance, when I kick a soccer ball, my pelvis stays. I think it, uh, yeah, it takes, uh, it further simplifies the simplified skeleton. I suppose you're saying to the, that inner animal of yours, st- Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and it kind of reminds me of a um, uh, long time ago watching movies of uh, cheetahs chasing uh, or being chased across the savannas mm-hmm. in Africa. And, yeah. and you would look at them and they're moving right along. But if you look at their body, their mm-hmm. body is pretty stable. Absolutely. It, it, there's not a lot of stuff going on within their body. Their head is just taking them forward, and um, th- their body is staying 
mm-hmm. still in an odd way. Even though there's well, a lot of movement, of course their legs are moving, but mm-hmm. their torso, as uh-huh. it were, is, is pretty stable. We could say that the core is stable, the periphery can move as much as you want. That's a nice a, direction right there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's yeah. let's um, let's leave it there. I think um, for anyone listening, uh, the simplified instruction is to um, play around with what we've been talking about, and um, and perhaps getting a copy of uh, Pedro's book, Indirect Procedures. You and got it. In particular, the to complicate it a little bit, the latest. Uh, the latest edition, which is completely redone from earlier ones. Mm-hmm. And um, Pedro, uh, well, my guest today has been the author of that book, Pedro de Alcantara. And he teaches in Paris. He teaches regularly in New York. And he teaches at various locations around the world. If you live in Paris or New York, um, put a link to his website and get hold of him. And uh, if you live anywhere else in the world, we'll put a link to a site that has information about how to find uh, an Alexander teacher in your area. Pedro, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for your hospitality.